0: SECTION 63 OF CURIOSITIES OF LITERATURE, VOLUME 1. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY DION GINES, SALT LAKE CITY, UTAH. CURIOSITIES OF LITERATURE, VOLUME 1. BY ISAAC Disraeli. GAMING GAMING appears to be a universal passion. Some have attempted to deny its universality. They have imagined that it is chiefly prevalent in cold climates where such a passion becomes most capable of agitating and gratifying the torpid minds of their inhabitants. The fatal propensity of gaming is to be discovered as well amongst the inhabitants of the frigid and torrid zones as amongst those of the milder climates, the savage and the civilized the illiterate and the learned, are alike captivated by the hope of accumulating wealth without the labors of industry. Barbarack has written an elaborate treatise on gaming, and we have two quarto volumes by C. Moore on suicide, gaming, and dueling, which may be placed by the side of Barbarack. All these works are excellent sermons, but a sermon to a gambler, a duelist, or a suicide... A dice-box, a sword, and pistol are the only things that seem to have any power over these unhappy men, forever lost in a labyrinth of their own construction. I am much pleased with the following thought. The ancients, says the author of Amusements Serraux et comique, assembled to see their gladiators kill one another. They classed this among their games. What barbarity! But are we less barbarous? we who call a game an assembly who meet at the faro table where the actors themselves confess they only meet to destroy one another in both these cases the philosopher may perhaps discover their origin in the listless state of ennui requiring an immediate impulse of the passions and very inconsiderate as to the fatal means which procure the desired agitation the most ancient treatise by a modern on this subject is said to be by a french physician one Ecolu who published in fifteen sixty nine de alliae sive de curande ludende in pecunium cupiditate, that is on games of chance or a cure for gaming the treatise itself is only worth notice from the circumstance of the author being himself one of the most inveterate gamblers he wrote this work to convince himself of this folly but in spite of all his solemn vows the prayers of his friends and his own book perpetually quoted before his face he was a great gamester to his last hour the same circumstance happened to sir john denham who also published a tract against gaming and to the last remained a gamester they had not the good sense of old montaigne "'who gives the reason why he gave over gambling. "'I used to like, formerly, games of chance with cards and dice, "'but of that folly I have long been cured, "'merely because I found that whatever good countenance "'I put on when I lost, I did not feel my vexation the less. Goldsmith fell a victim to this madness. "'To play any game well requires serious study, "'time and experience.' If a literary man plays deeply he will be duped even by shallow fellows as well as by professed gamblers dice and that little pugnacious animal the cock are the chief instruments employed by the numerous nations of the east to agitate their minds and ruin their fortunes to which the chinese who are desperate gamesters add the use of cards when all other property is played away the Asiatic gambler scruples not to stake his wife or his child on the cast of a die, or the courage and strength of a martial bird. If still unsuccessful, the last venture he stakes is himself. On the island of Ceylon, cockfighting is carried to a great height. The Sumatrans are addicted to the use of dice. A strong spirit of play characterizes a Malayan. After having resigned everything to the good fortune of the winner, he is reduced to a horrid state of desperation. He then loosens a certain lock of hair, which indicates war and destruction to all whom the raving gamester meets. He intoxicates himself with opium, and working himself into a fit of frenzy, he bites or kills every one who comes in his way. But as soon as this lock is seen flowing, it is lawful to fire at the person and to destroy him as fast as possible. This custom is what is called to run amuck. Thus Dryden writes, frontless and satire proof, he scours the streets and runs an Indian muck at all he meets. Thus also Pope, satire's my weapon, but I'm too discreet to run amuck and tilt at all I meet. Johnson could not discover the derivation of the word muck. To run amuck is an old phrase for attacking madly and indiscriminately, and has since been ascertained to be a Malay word. To discharge their gambling debts, the Siamese sell their possessions, their families, and at length themselves. The Chinese play night and day, till they have lost all they are worth, and then they usually go and hang themselves such is the propensity of the javanese for high play that they were compelled to make a law that whoever ventures his money at play shall be put to death in the newly discovered islands of the pacific ocean they venture even their hatchets which they hold as invaluable acquisitions on running matches we saw a man says cook beating his breast and tearing his hair in the violence of rage for having lost three hatchets at one of these races, and which he had purchased with nearly half his property. The ancient nations were not less addicted to gaming—Persians, Grecians, and Romans, the Goths and Germans. To notice the modern ones were a melancholy task. There is hardly a family in Europe which cannot record, from their own domestic annals, the dreadful prevalence of this passion." gamester and cheater were synonymous terms in the time of shakespeare and johnson they have hardly lost much of their double significance in the present day the following is a curious picture of a gambling house from a contemporary account and appears to be an establishment more systematic even than the hells of the present day a list of the officers established in the most notorious gaming houses from the daily journal January ninth, 1731. First, a commissioner, always a proprietor, who looks in of a night and the week's account is audited by him and two other proprietors. Second, a director who superintends the room. Third, an operator who deals the cards at a cheating game called Faro. Fourth, two cropies who watch the cards and gather the money for the bank. Fifth, two puffs, who have money given them to decoy others to play. Sixth, a clerk, who is a check upon the puffs, to see that they sink none of the money given them to play with. Seventh, a squib, is a puff of lower rank, who serves at half-pay salary while he is learning to deal. Eighth, a flasher, to swear how often the bank has been stripped. Ninth, a dunner, who goes about to recover money lost at play. Tenth, a waiter, to fill out wine, snuff, candles, and attend the gaming room. Eleventh, an attorney, a Newgate solicitor. Twelfth, a captain who is to fight any gentleman who is peevish for losing his money. Thirteenth, an usher, who lights gentlemen up and down stairs and gives the word to the porter. Fourteenth, a porter who is generally a soldier of the Foot Guards. Fifteenth an orderly man who walks up and down the outside of the door to give notice to the porter and alarm the house at the approach of the constable. Sixteenth, a runner, who is to get intelligence of the justices' meeting. Seventeenth, link boys, coachmen, chairmen, or others who bring intelligence of the justices' meetings or of the constable's being out at half a guinea reward. Eighteenth, common bail, affidavit men, ruffians bravos assassins cum multis alis the memoirs of the most famous gamesters from the reign of charles the second to queen anne by t lucas esq seventeen fourteen appears to be a bookseller's job but probably a few traditional stories are preserved footnote this curious little volume deserves more attention than the slight mention above what occasion it is diffuse in style, and hence looks a little like a bookseller's job, of which the most was to be made. But the same fault has characterized many works whose authors possess a bad style. Many of the tales narrated of well-known London characters of the merry days of Charles the Second are very characteristic and not to be met with elsewhere. And a footnote. End of section sixty three.